Life Audio. Welcome to the Real Refreshment Podcast. Join us as we dive into motherhood at the foot of the throne with your host, Rachel Carmen. If you are tired, overwhelmed, and feeling alone, this is the place for you. A place for real moms with real stories seeking real refreshment found only in the living God. Take a minute to visit rachelcarmen.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the Word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Hey there, everyone. We are picking up today in part four of our study of the life of the disciple Peter. And you might say that I left you in a bit of a quandary last time, so we are going to get right to it after this. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So we first meet Peter, and he's really curious. Is this Jesus that my brother has just introduced me to? Is he the Messiah? And so Jesus sees Peter, and Peter gets to see Jesus at work, and he sees his wonders, and he hears his teaching, and he comes to believe that indeed this is the Son of God. But then Peter, unfortunately, goes into a period of being kind of cocky about who Jesus is. He he gets who Jesus is, but he thinks he knows what that means for himself, and we see him arrogant in this phase. And I suggested to you that that's possible that you and I slip into that also, which is a warning to us, right? That we're only in our relationship with Jesus for what it can do for us. 
instead of what we can do for him. That's the danger of that cocky phase of Peter's life. But then last time we talked about Peter got into a position of just being downright confused because he came face to face with the fact that, yes, he was right about who Jesus was, but he was wrong about what Jesus came to do the first time he came. Peter really wanted to be part of this massive revolution. That's what he wanted to be a part of. And yet Jesus started talking about dying. Peter couldn't even process that. And yet then he witnessed Jesus' betrayal and arrest. And he denied him. And his head is just spinning. This is not at all how he thought it was going to play out. It's not at all how he wanted it to play out. My goodness, how did we get here from there? And what have I been a part of? And am I in danger? All of this, right, is going on in Peter's head. When he denies Christ, he's convicted of that denial because he catches eyes with Jesus. And it says in Scripture that he went away and wept bitterly. And that's where I left you last time. So it's not a mistake because I kind of wanted that to sit on you because if you're not there in a place in your life right now where you are feeling that kind of confusion, maybe even feeling like you've been deserted, but certainly you're confused about where you are, where your story arc is, how did you get here? Because you don't want to be here, right? Many times I think we can get into a place where we're just really confused about what is God doing and why is he doing it like this? I wouldn't have written the story this way. I would not have done this to someone I said I loved. I have felt all of those things. And recently, I'm just going to confess to you, and it can be a place where we're really vulnerable. And I suggested at the end of our time together last time that it is when we get there, first of all, recognizing that we're there is huge. And I pray that you've got some really good friends that can help you see where you are. Because when you're in that place of vulnerability, it is paramount that you latch on to who you know Jesus is. And that you take time to praise him and review what you already know he's done. You've got to go back and recount his faithfulness and his goodness, his primacy in your life, his sovereignty, the goodness of his sovereignty, and go back and think of all of the times that he has provided for you in miraculous ways where he has done things, he's cut through the impossible circumstances and met you right where you were, even when you don't know how your current circumstances is going to play out. And I, again, suggest to you that that's what Peter held on to. I, I can imagine Peter hidden away for three days, perhaps afraid that he was going to be the next to be arrested, right? Because apparently in the courtyard, everyone knew that Peter knew who Jesus was. So I'm thinking not only was he convicted by catching the Lord's eye, realizing he had just denied him three times, realizing that it was a fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus had spoken over him. He also had to be not a little fearful that he was in danger because People did know who he was, and they knew he'd been with Jesus. So in the time that lapses between Friday afternoon, evening, and Sunday morning, Peter had to be going over and over, recounting, okay, I remember this, and I remember that, and I remember this, and maybe that's where you find yourself. I don't know if you've ever had a period of time in your life where you kind of wake up like this. (gasps) I... I've been there a couple of times where everything just feels like 
foreign. Like, I don't want it to be the way it is ever. I never, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, right? These circumstances, and I'm not even sure how we got here. And you start recounting, going through it. And maybe you've had periods in your life where you've just cried yourself to sleep. Or maybe just wrung your hands and you just don't know. Times where maybe you've been endeavoring to sing His praises and seek Him and trust Him and Maybe even periods in your life that just seemed impossible, but you actually dared to do what seemed impossible and thank him for what he was doing, even though you had no idea what it was. And perhaps then you fell into some kind of a deep or restless sleep. And I believe that that's what happened to Peter. I think that's the kind of restless sleep he must have had Friday and maybe even Saturday night. Early Sunday morning, the Gospels recount for us that the women went to the tomb. Of course they did. The women who had been part of the entourage that followed Jesus faithfully, the women went to the tomb and they talked on the way there. Who was going to roll the stone away? Because they'd come to prepare Jesus's body with spices because that hadn't been done, right? They couldn't do it on the Sabbath. So they'd come early on Sunday morning to do that. And yet on the way, they were like, hmm, who's going to roll the stone away? But isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful to know that upon their revival, the stone was already rolled. I love that part of the story because it just underscores the fact that God always goes before us. Always goes before us. So even before they got there, right, the stone was rolled. The stone was already rolled away. They entered and they saw, it says, a man sitting there and he says, he's not here. He's not here. He is risen. And then I love this phrase. This is only in the account of Mark, which you'll remember, Mark was written by John Mark, and he was actually Peter's scribe. So when you read the Gospel of Mark, the word immediately is in the Gospel of Mark 43 times, which totally fits because Peter's telling the story, and Peter was immediately. If there was a word that went with Peter, it would have been immediately. And and so it's interesting when you read the Gospel of Mark, what details about Peter you read there. And this is one of them that, to me, really stands out. It's, it says this in Mark sixteen seven: The man who meets the woman at the tomb says this, But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Wow. Wow. Go tell the disciples and make sure you don't forget about Peter. Look, we don't know where the disciples were. We know they were dispersed after the arrest of Christ in the garden. We know that Jesus, that Peter fell, followed at a distance. We know that John was there at the foot of the cross. But we don't know when the disciples dispersed. We don't know if they all met up together, if they were separate. I, I think it's plausible that Peter didn't go back and confess to everybody else that he had denied Christ three times. I, I think it's plausible that Peter went somewhere by himself and wrestled it by himself. Because I don't think Peter would have wanted to have admitted that. Not then. Not then. And so this angel, this man that meets the women at the empty tomb. He says, go tell the disciples and Peter, don't don't forget, make sure you tell Peter because Peter needs to know. Because Peter needs to know. 
And so they come, the women come in a hurry to tell the disciples. And it says in scripture that they did not believe the women. Now, we can be really critical of that, but I think you have to understand this was outlandish. There's so many parts of the Bible that we criticize the characters in the Bible for not believing this or not believing that or not doing this or, oh, come on, it's obvious, you should do that. We've got the whole story. They didn't have the whole story, right? And so when the women come to the men, the disciples, and say, he, the tomb's empty, they're like, yeah, right. But it says that Peter and John got up. So if Peter was wrestling it separately, it sounds like he and John were at least together at this point. And it says they got up and they got in a foot race to the tomb. They ran. They ran. They didn't walk. They didn't meander. They didn't stop for a loaf of bread on the way. It says they ran. They ran. These two, these two, the beloved disciple and Peter ran to the tomb. Well, not surprisingly, John is traditionally considered the youngest of all of the disciples and Peter the oldest just by tradition. And John beat Peter. But it says that when Peter arrived, he went in. It seems that there was something respectful about John. He hung out. He did not, he did not go in. But not surprisingly, Peter went in. Peter went in. And the tomb, it was empty. All that was left were some burial clothes. Jesus was not there. His body was not there because he is risen. Then, seeing the empty tomb, right? Jesus appeared to his disciples. It is recorded in the Gospel of John three times. The first time, behind closed doors, he appeared to them. So they're in a room with all of the doors closed probably locked, and Jesus appears. Jesus appears. And we're going to talk about what he says to them right after this. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast, to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on The Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. 
So on that Sunday, it says, it says on Sunday. So whether it was the same Sunday that he was resurrected or not, I'm not sure. Maybe someone does know that. I'm not sure. But it says that he appeared to them and he says this, peace be with you. Peace. You remember back in the upper room discourse, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And here's the first thing he says to them is peace be with you. And then all the disciples are just amazed. And then he's not with them anymore. And they tell Thomas about it. So apparently at the first appearing of Christ, Thomas is not with them. And so they tell Thomas and Thomas is like, yeah, no, I... Yeah, I'm just, guys, I'm just not believing it. I get that that's what you want to be true, right? But I, you know, unless I see his hands and his feet and his side, I am not going to believe it. I just, I can't believe it. And it says in John 20, verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them this time. And it says, Jesus came the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said again, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, I love this moment. I absolutely love this moment because this is something, if you dare to dig in and read through all of the gospels, I want you to notice how Jesus meets people right where they are right where they are. And if you're listening today and you've got doubt, Thomas is considered Thomas, he's called Thomas the Doubting, Doubting Thomas. He doubted what his compadres told him. He doubted that Jesus rose from the dead and that the tomb was empty. You know, I don't think it takes a lot of imagination to consider why he doubted that narrative. He just didn't believe it. He got why they would want to believe that, but he was not buying it. And he was like, look, if that's true, I'll believe it when I see it, right? And you got to see how kindly Jesus responds. It says, Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, I love this. Reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing, but believing. Jesus met Thomas right where he was and listened to Thomas's response. My Lord and my God, Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see me and believe. The invitation is extended to you and I to believe. We're told in in Hebrews that that's what believing is. It's believing in what we cannot see, what we know to be true. We can't see it, but we believe based on the testimony, based on the truth. We believe. Then there's a third time recorded in the gospel about when Jesus appeared to his disciples. And I I want you to see this because there are many literary devices in all of Scripture. So Scripture is not just 66 books um, boringly written or accounted. I mean, beautifully written. Literary devices, imagery, simile, symbolism, all through the narrative. I mean, it is just 
it's all inspired of the Holy Spirit, and it's truly a beautiful work of literature. And you need to see here, this is a full circle narrative. We're back where we started, right? We're back where we started. Jesus meets the first disciples on the seashore, and here we're back on the seashore. We've got the fishermen out fishing, right? We've got Peter, restless Peter. Jesus has already appeared to them at least twice. He doesn't know how long he's going to be able to see Jesus in this resurrected state. We know it was only 40 days, but he doesn't know that. And it seems like Peter's just restless and he's like, I'm going fishing. And it's beautiful because Peter's like, I'm getting back to what I know. I'm going fishing. And he goes fishing and a couple of the other disciples with him. And lo and behold, who is on the seashore? But Jesus, and he calls to them, he goes, you got any fish? You got any fish? And note this too, we had the great catch previously when Jesus said, look, if if you'll throw out the net this way, you're going to catch something. And Peter said, you know what? We've been doing this all night long, but if you said it, I'll do it. If you said it, I'm going to do it. And they had this great fish. That was in the beginning of Jesus' ministry with them, right? Here at the end, very, very, very similar. He says, throw the net on the right side and you'll make a catch. And they do. And they do. It's glorious. John says to Peter, it's the Lord. It's not just a man asking for some fish. It's the Lord. And get this. Notice this. Remember, we've already had Peter dare to get out of the boat, right? To walk on water towards Jesus. We have that here again at the end of the gospel narrative. John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter, without hesitation, totally Peter, dives in to get to Jesus. He dives in to get him. He can't wait on everybody else. It says that they weren't far off the shore, but Peter's not going to wait. This is impulsive Peter. He's got to get to Jesus. And so he dives in and he gets to Jesus. It says that when they got to shore, there was such a great number that it says Peter single-handedly, Jesus asked for some fish, Peter single-handedly goes over and drags the net to shore, and there were 153 fish. It's interesting to me the detail in some parts of Scripture. 153 fish, and yet the net was untorn. Untorn. Jesus was in this catch, and they all ate together. They had breakfast together. This is Jesus' bodily resurrection, all this evidence. And then we've got this, just in John, just in John, picking up on John, in John 21, verse 14. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, so It would seem that it's just a few of the disciples, maybe not all of them, the disciples that Peter went fishing with and the Lord are seaside eating some fish over an open fire. But this is a conversation, not without a small audience, but this is Jesus speaking specifically to Peter. And listen to this. It's powerful. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. 
And Jesus said to him, Tend my lambs. Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to the Lord, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. I hope that you see this beautiful answer that Jesus meets Peter in each one of his denials with an assurance. Peter denied Christ to strangers. That denial was private between him and the Lord. It was a fulfillment of the Lord's prediction of Peter's denials. But the other disciples were not around. He was surrounded by strangers. And yes, it is still significant that he denied Christ three times. But it was just between him and Jesus. Jesus knew what he had done, and Peter knew what he had done. And Peter was deeply grieved. And yet, Peter held on to what he knew was true. And he ran to the tomb, and he saw that it was empty, and he was there when the Lord appeared to him, and he jumped into the water to swim to shore. Jesus got, I mean, Peter got who Jesus was. He got it. He got it. And yet, the denials of Peter were not overlooked by the Lord. They were not overlooked by the Lord. But they were redeemed by the Lord. One for each one of his denials. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? One for each denial. You and I deny Christ all the time in the way we act, the way we behave, the way we refuse to live as we ought, to walk in His steps, to follow hard after Him, to seek Him, to serve Him, to honor Him in word and deed. And yet, in His love for us, He meets us in each one of those and asks us, do you love me? Will you trust me with this? Will you trust me with this? It is so easy for you and I to be critical of Peter. How could he deny Christ? He knew who he was. He witnessed all of these remarkable, amazing things. How could he deny him? And yet you and I do the same thing. I don't want you to miss that your denials never fall flat. Jesus meets you in them. And dares you to renew your love for him. And he gives you another chance because he knows your heart. He knows your heart. Jesus heard his denials, but he was asking for Peter's heart. And he was assuring Peter that those denials did not define him. That was not his destiny. That was not his future. Those denials were redeemed. He didn't want Peter to forget about them. 
And you and I don't need to forget about the times when we've let down the Lord, when we've denied the Lord to friends, to neighbors, to strangers. But we need to know that Jesus knows, and he's in the business of redeeming those denials. He's in the business of meeting us in them and asking us to return to our love of him our love of Him, that we would hold on to Him, that we would remember the fundamentals of who we know He is. Who we know He is. Because when you can remember who He is, Jesus, the Son of the living God, the gift of God, the gift of salvation, the perfect Lamb of God, John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Messiah. Come. He came first, and he had to do what he did the first time when he came. He couldn't come the first time and just overthrow Rome. He had more foundational work to achieve. He had to make a way for you and I to be reconciled to God. And the only way we could be reconciled to God was through the perfect sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Jesus, having lived perfectly, right, was the only perfect sacrifice to make a way for you and for I, for you and for me. Jesus made a way. See, Peter was so confused last time. This was not going the way he thought it would go. This is not the way he would have written the story, right? This is not what he envisioned. And yet, and yet, on the other side of Sunday morning, On the other side of resurrection, on the other side of restoration, on the other side, Peter was like, whoa, whoa, a whole world opened up, a whole world, because Jesus made a way. And you can just imagine how it's all coming together in Peter's mind. He's like, oh my goodness, this means, oh, and you said this, and then you did, oh, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. I can tell you honestly, there have been things that have happened in my life, intersections I have found myself at, and I don't know how I got there. Okay, I'm not saying that I did not make some really lousy choices. I'm not saying that I am not deeply flawed and incredibly imperfect, and that I made some really lousy decisions and got myself in a really awful predicament. I've done all of those things, but it feels like sometimes I could not have possibly gotten into that bad of a fix by myself. It is sovereignly ordained that I am in a situation that I see no way out of. No way out of. There's no light. I can't see my hand in front of my face. I don't see a break in the clouds. I don't see an end to this. I can't find a pink bow in this box, right? And I'm betting you've been there too. And I'm just going to humbly suggest to you that those are the places that God works on us, that he dares us to lean in and trust him, that he dares us to believe in what we cannot see, 
where he dares us to hold on to him when there's nothing else, when we feel like we're free falling, when we feel like everything has broken, everything has failed, everything has abandoned us, we're all alone and literally all hope is lost. I just want to suggest to you, he is daring us to hold on to him, daring us to trust in him at a deeper level that we cannot imagine. And just like when Peter was going down into the waters, after having taken who knows how many steps on the water towards Jesus, and he gets distracted by the waves, and he's going down, and Jesus lifts him up. We've got to know that we're not going down and we're not going under. In Isaiah, it says, when you walk through the water, And when you walk through the fire, when, not if, when, you and I are going to walk through things here that are confusing, that are frustrating, that are overwhelming, we're going to find ourselves in circumstances that we would never have voluntarily orchestrated or agreed to. We are. And we are going to throw up our hands and go, you have got to be kidding me. I never wanted to be here. In fact, in fact, hold on to this. I feel like I've tried to do everything not to be here. Like I knew this was a possibility and I tried not to be here, right? And yet you find yourself there and he's going to ask you. He's going to ask you to do something that you don't think you can And there might even be moments in that moment, you're going to sense that he's asking you to do something and you're not even sure you want to. Not because you don't believe in him, but because you're so weary and you're afraid to trust him and you're afraid to hope in him because it just seems that dark and that lonely. And yet, and yet, I'm going to suggest to you that that's why we have Peter's story in Scripture. When we've denied him, when it seems like everything we thought we'd banked on is gone, and we cannot figure out how this is going to turn out for good, anybody's good, much less ours, I want to encourage you to remember that he is sovereign over all things. And his word says, and we've got to bank on what his word says. His word says that he's always working together for our good. Always. And we also know for scripture that he's always in the process of glorifying himself. And those two objectives of the Almighty never, never contradict each other. His glory never contradicts our good, and our good never contradicts His glory. They always complement each other. So even in the darkest night, when you're crying yourself to sleep, when you feel like what you've worked to build has fallen apart, when you feel like you're at the scene of a massive accident, when you feel like you can't triage the weak and the wounded fast enough, I'm going to invite you to hold on to what you know to be true. That in the middle of your worst mess, in your darkest nightmare, like Peter on Friday and Saturday night, God is at work. God is at work. He is the great Redeemer. He is the resurrected Savior. 
Next time, we're going to finish up this series on Peter, and we're going to talk about Peter's confidence. And it is a phase of his story that all of us are invited into, that our confidence would not be dependent on our circumstances. Our confidence would not be dependent on ourselves, but our confidence would be built on the reality of Christ. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind Podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Hear about how Steve Harvey surprised a dying man on Family Feud with $25,000. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com or search Story Behind on your favorite podcast platform.